before you go, I do need to ask, what's your go-to snack when you're watching all these basketball games? Cheez-Its. Cheez-Its are your thing. <laughs> yeah. Juddy, you're a fan favorite. You're a player's favorite. You're not I'm your mom's favorite. My, I was going to say, <laughs> you're not my mom now. Oh, no. Now she likes you better than me. Great. <laughs> <Right. laughs> this is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. Hey, look, ain't locking us out in college, all right? This is true, and that's why we have the BYU head coach, Mike Littlewood, with us now to talk some hardball. Only one of us has coached a team to five straight wins. You're that guy, (laughs) Mike. How does it feel to have won five straight games after a little bit of a slow start? You know, I, I'm proud of our guys. I, that's, the, that's my main emotion. I'm happy for our players. Um, it, it's been awesome to see them grow. This was the 2019 recruiting class that was really highly touted. And it took them a, a little bit of time to grow up with, with COVID and different things. But it's been nice to see them grow and mature and become really good college, confident college baseball players. And, and that's where we're at right now. Well, and I think the fact that the team did start out 0-2 and then turned it into what we've seen over the last five games, I think that makes it even more impressive. Yeah, and those first two games, you and I talked about it when we were in Florida. I equated it to kind of like playing basketball. You know, you used to practice and they put a lid on the thing so the ball would bounce back to you. It felt like that. Like, we just couldn't string hits together. And when we did have guys in scoring position, we couldn't get that big hit. And honestly, I thought, oh, gal, this is here we go again. This is what it was the first half of last year. But all of a sudden, we win a tough, tough 3 2 game with Jansen Kiesel on the mound. It goes six strong with 10 strikeouts, and, and we, we roll after that. And so, pretty confident team right now. Had a great weekend and, and just need to keep it up. An incredible weekend that featured an all time moment with uh, down to the final strike, bases clearing triple. And it was accompanied by an unforgettable call from Jason Shepard and Tuckett Slade. So my question for you, Mike, as uh, we're going to listen to this, is what was more impressive, the comeback in and of itself against Arizona State or the call of the go-ahead triple? I thought it was the triple until I heard the call. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's 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 listen listen to this call. One more time. The one-two. And Brock get over the head. Down the get, right over the head. get over Murphy the head. On the move. Get over the head. And he Come can't on, get it. Come on, Ozzy. Come on, Ozzy. This game is going to Ozzie. be tied. No, it took it's the lead. It's the NBYU. Let's go. Ozzy Pratt. Are you kidding me? BYU leads with Holy two Holy cow. In the top of the ninth, it is five. Holy cow. <laughs> Tell me you've requested that as a future ringtone. Uh... I have, actually, yeah. <laughs> if you I, need I it, I get you an MP3 copy. I didn't even have to request it. Tuckett just gave it to me for some reason. So, uh, See, Tuckett wants to play it off like, oh, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I, I can't believe. He loves it. Yeah, he loves yeah. every second of that call. Well, you know when he says, I'm so embarrassed. Here, listen to it. You know, we <laughs> talked about that. So, yeah, it was, it was great. And that's what I love about, I love about what you do and what, what Tuckett does. It's, from Tuckett, this is like pure emotion. Now, on the other side, when something goes wrong, he's been known to break a headset or two up in the, in the booth. So, but we won't mention that to no, anybody no, else but, no. but us. Yeah, Nobody's so we'll keep that listening here. to Nobody, this. Yeah, nobody's going to know that but us. So it's let's all keep that in the good. But I love the emotion. Yeah, it's great. Mike, what does a 5-2 and two start to the season mean for the program overall from a recruiting standpoint, beating four of those five teams in the Power 5 level, and so on and so forth? Well, I think more than the record 5-2. and two, I think anytime we set up our, our non-conference, preseason non-conference, really tough usually. And, and so we kind of look at it as if we can 
be above 500 going into our league play, then we've done a pretty good job with the schedule that we put together. More than the five and two record, I think it's the teams we've beaten. Um, Marshall was Marshall was really good. They were big and physical and old, and and we, we honestly it surprised us how good they were. Um, they had good good uh, a good pitching staff. Indiana State was a, uh, a regional team last year, and so and then to beat Ohio State and Arizona State, it's something that may not not ever happen again to, to sweep by anybody to sweep Arizona State on their home field. It was pretty impressive. So. We were recruiting so many guys from Southern California and and Arizona, and we had a lot of those kids at the game. And for the, for them to see that, it just helps recruiting so much. And so I think that's the most important thing is the recruiting aspect of it. Well, and let's talk about the pitching staff overall. And, and you knew what you had coming in. You had a lot of returning talent and a lot of returning experience, but you had a lot of young talent coming in. And, and you talk about some of those wins. You know, the, the win over Ohio State, coming into that game on that Monday afternoon, they were averaging 11 runs per game. Pitching staff held them far below that. Arizona State is a team that had put double-digit you know, runs on the board in a couple of their first couple of games. The pitching staff holds them down. What do you make of this pitching staff through the first seven? I, they've been awesome. They really have been awesome. Um, and we've talked to a couple of our starters saying we need a little bit more length out of them. But with our pitching staff this year, this particular year, we don't really need that out of them. You know, even though we would like that, we have plenty of guys to go to. And when I say we're 12 deep, we are 12 deep. What we don't have is, besides maybe Jansen Kiesel, who's going to run it up there, he'll start Friday for us at noon. Um, he's going to run up to 96. He might see some 97s, and it's pretty consistently 93, 94. Uh, besides him, we don't overpower you, but everybody's in the low 90s, touches mid-90s, but they have good secondary stuff. We offer four left-handers. Um, we, we have, a uh, in Carter Smith, a ground ball guy. We just have a number of different looks, and if we can put those pieces together and put, a, put together a nine-inning game like that, similar to Friday night's game, we use eight guys. They all came in and did the and like they just accepted their roles and and excelled at it and did a great job. BYU baseball head coach Mike Littlewood is with us on BYU Sports Nation. What's the number one strength of this team? And maybe you just answered it by talking about pitching, but what's the strength of this current BYU baseball team? It, you know, it, it has nothing to do with on the field stuff. It really doesn't. It's it's we've talked about culture and. Nobody can really define what culture is, but you can feel what culture is, and this team has it. I mean, they they love each other. They want to they want each other to to excel. Doesn't matter if if, uh, if I'm playing short and he wants to play short, he's still rooting for me. And that's the great thing about a team. Um, when you go up to the plate and know that that guy that that wants your position is still is still rooting for you, and this team has it. It doesn't matter if they're on the bench or on the field. They they all want to win. There has to be a certain talent level. We have that. Um, I think we're we're really going to excel on the on the mound, but our hitters have really come around. They're they're start they're much more mature. They're putting together better at bats, so we're a pretty well rounded team. But the culture is awesome right now. Well, and some of the young players, some of the freshmen. You know, we we heard in the in the highlight. You know, Ozzie Pratt. That was uh, he he came in, got hit uh, by a pitch, and then comes around on that Friday night game to to be the the go ahead run, uh, but then gets the start on Saturday and has two singles, has a double. I mean, the guy yeah. with Colin, Colin Reuter has played well as a freshman. You mentioned Jansen Kiesel as a freshman. A lot of young Justice guys. Justice Reiser. Yeah, Justice, Justice Reiser is another been guy incredible that came in. for us. So you have a lot of young players that have come in and immediately proven their worth. Yeah, and, and that takes talent, but it, but it also takes that something inside of them, not to be scared, 
not to have that anxiety. You can have a certain level level of anxiety, and if you don't, you probably you know you probably should get out of the game because you don't care. But it's how you handle that anxiety. And those those four guys that you mentioned have just really done a great job of playing like juniors and seniors and not playing like like freshmen. And that's been such such an important thing. And then on the other side, we have Hayden Latham and Mitch McIntyre and, and Andrew Pintar and Brock Watkins playing like veterans, and that's what we need, you know, and, and others. I, I shouldn't even mention four because we have Austin Deming. We have a ton of guys doing that. How much uncertainty was there about veterans potentially coming back because of the COVID-19 situation and the exceptions granted? Did you expect all of this to return, or were you anticipating that maybe some of them would, would take off? Well, I, I think our two question marks were probably Mitch McIntyre and um, Hayden Latham. And both of them, uh, they're, they're so close to graduating. They could have, they've could have, like Hayden's taken one class right now. But he just said, I remember the, our, our exit meeting last year in whatever it was, end of May, June. And, and he said, I can't imagine myself not doing this. And so I think their perspective has changed. Like, I just want to help this team win. No matter what it is, I just want to help this team win. And, and you can, Hayden Latham is just, he's the player that we, we knew we were getting out of, like a two-time All-American out of College of Southern Idaho. He's finally coming into his own at this level, putting together great at-bats, hitting the ball off the wall, drag bunting, doing a lot of different things, playing good, good outfield. And Mitch McIntyre is probably the, like, he's, he's our go-to guy. I mean, he's, if, if, if he goes, we go. And he's been playing great. And it's, it's amazing because he did not see a live pitch before our first game because of a, a little bit of a wrist injury. <laughs> and he's just smoking it. I mean, he's just Ball playing player. so great. Yeah, he's, just, he's a gamer. He's yes. a gamer. So the home opening series against Milwaukee uh, is going to be played, but it's going to be played a little differently than what was originally on the schedule. Still going to be a three-game series that will start Thursday, but instead of being a game on Thursday, one on Friday, one on Saturday, you're going to go with a double header on Thursday and then one on two, or excuse me, on Friday. But it's some, some different times due to weather. Why don't you let everybody know what to expect for this opening series? Yeah, as we look at the weather, and you know, as a baseball coach, I've I've learned since I was 19 years old coaching baseball that you keep one eye on the weather. I mean, that's what you do. And in fact, we, through Dave McCann, I've built a relationship with Kevin Eubank. And so I, <laughs> I just text Kevin Eubank all the time instead of looking on weather.com. And, and just kind of looking at it, it looks like a storm's coming in Friday night and it's going to kind of linger here until Saturday. And so Milwaukee agreed to play, and tomorrow's going to be incredible. I mean, it's going to be around 60. So we thought, let's just play two games tomorrow, one game Friday at noon to make sure that we get three games in um, and, and we're not sitting here in the snow. And I think it's going to be nicer for our fans. And hopefully, ho- you know, playing earlier, it's a little bit sketchy with getting people out here, but hopefully we get a nice crowd. And the games on Thursday, game one at one, game two at four, or 30 minutes after the completion correct. of game one. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. And, and the other cool part about it is, you know, obviously you want to come see this team that's winning, but uh, there's there's some something new to see at Miller Park in the outfield, which uh, if you've driven by, you've probably seen it uh, on the last couple of days, but a brand new video board, which looks amazing. It, it, uh, yesterday we had a two and a half hour practice, and I think I spent an hour and a half just like going, <laughs> admiring, <laughs> just staring at the scoreboard. I mean, it's it's, it's absolutely it, it's going to create such a great fan interaction experience, and and you won't know it until you come here and and see all the information that's up there, and you'll know exactly what's going on in the game. And and uh, I, I know he doesn't want to be announced, but I mean, like, or named or anything. But we had a former player step up who's helped us a ton, and can't can't just can't thank that family enough for. Um, basically paying for the scoreboard and helping out with the softball scoreboard as well and, and getting both those boards up. 
With the pros currently not playing, do you feel like there's an additional spotlight now on college baseball? I really do. I, I, I feel like the people who I've been t- just through my everyday life, I've been talked to, talked to a few people saying that we're going to come out to some games and there's nothing that haven't previously come out to college baseball games. And so maybe we'll pick up some more fans, but I, people love baseball. It doesn't really matter what level it is. I mean, if uh, I was going to like T-ball games when we, when we couldn't play in 2020. So um, yeah, I hope, I hope it uh, brings out some more fans. I've seen a couple of, uh, of tweets, whether it be a, uh, an article that, that you were a part of talking about BYU baseball, I think with D1 baseball, uh, perfect game, done some radio stuff. Um, what's, what's the outside right now saying about BYU baseball in the start? Well, I know D1, he, uh, Eric Sorensen gave me a call after we swept Arizona State, and he's, he goes, let me preface this interview with an I'm sorry, but you're going to be our underdog of the week, you know? <laughs> and I said, that's great, because the, the only time we've been picked by the coaches to win our league, we took last. And every time we're, we're picked to take sixth or seventh, we win it. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm happy with the underdog role. But I think, you know, the mark of a really good team in baseball is consistency. That's why the big leagues play a, a 162 games, and we play 56. And, and so we, we need to sustain this. Sustainability is the number one thing because we know there's going to be some tough times. Um, not every, we're not going to sweep ASU every week. It's not going to be like that. We just need to keep that consistency, even keelness, and kind of roll through the season and see where it ends. What's the scouting report on Wisconsin-Milwaukee? Big, strong, athletic. They have 20, they've, they've stolen 20 out of 20 bases in, in their first seven games. Wow. Um, Albeit 17 of them against um, Alabama A&M, three against Arizona, uh, University of Arizona. Um, they, they really swing it. They get up there and swing it. They're older. They're an older group. Um, and they're a little bit thin on pitching right now. They have a couple guys down that, that threw last week. And so if we just go play our game and, and keep that intensity that we had and keep the confidence, we, we should be fine. But always tough to win two ball games. I, nobody likes doubleheaders in baseball. Um, and so it's tough to win two games in, in, uh, in one day. But you know, our team was pretty pumped. I go, you ready to play two on Thursday? And they're like, let's play three. So they're ready to go. <laughs> and, wow. and the rotation, uh, Sterner, Daly, uh, Kiesel on correct. for the two on Thursday and one Friday, correct? correct? Yep, that's a rotation. What's your go-to snack in between the two games of a doubleheader? Um, I like the um, gummy, like the just the, the glucose gummies. That's what I go to, yeah. They're, they're so, good. No, they're glucose good. Glucose gummies. And they have a little bit of sugar on them. Yes. So... And I, and I always have beef jerky in the dugout, just okay. munch on beef jerky in the dugout. <laughs> it's hard to argue with that. Yeah. Watching some baseball, chewing on some beef jerky. Th- there's nothing, yeah. And, and some glucose gummies. And if I need to send somebody out for a cougar tail, then I might do that. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, let's give you some karma for uh, another series win against let's Wisconsin I'll take it. I'll take it. Thanks for coming Thanks, in, man. Guys. Congratulations yeah, on the fast start. Thanks. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. For the first time in the history of BYU playing in the West Coast Conference, the Cougars are not one of the top three seeds going into the WCC postseason tournament. BYU, the five seed, and will play either LMU or Pacific on Friday. However... There is the opportunity to play San Francisco. So, Jerem, BYU gets the five seed. Yep. Now what? 
If you always got the chance, San Francisco on Saturday, that quad one we were talking about that uh, certainly could help BYU's resume. BYU's got to do something to get in. I, I don't really feel like uh, you know you can just sit and uh, win Friday but lose Saturday and feel like BYU's got a good chance. Um, you know because there'll be some Beal, uh, uh, bid stealers. There may be some teams that lose and get out of the way too. Uh, but I would rather not hope for that and proactively do something. To help BYU's cause, even if BYU wins Friday and Saturday, still doesn't mean the Cougars are in. But obviously, it's a much better shot. And then Monday you play uh, Gonzaga if you win uh, Saturday against San Francisco, and you see what you can do. St. Mary's just beat Gonzaga by ten. Does that mean BYU could do it? I still don't like the BYU match the way BYU matches up with Gonzaga, so I would say probably not. Uh, that's a fair, easy take. Not hot at all. But uh, BYU gets what it wants, which is a shot at San Francisco. We focused a lot on not just bracketology and team rankings and John Rothstein, but uh, we're looking at this from a wide-angle lens. And team rankings is at one end of the spectrum saying BYU's got like a 5% chance to make the tournament. Down to three now, by the way. Okay, oh, so it's down to a whopping 3%. We'll address that in a moment. (laughs) So if BYU wins Friday, okay, then I'd say maybe it's like a 10% chance of getting in. If they beat USF, I'm going to bump that up towards 60% of getting in because USF is the eighth to last team in now. They are at the top of the list of the last four buys. Like USF is way in right now, according to Joe Lenardi, and they're in basically every other bracket. Bracket Matrix has USF predominantly in the field securely. So if BYU wins that game, quad one against a team that's projected to be solid in the field, then I like the Cougars' chances, about 60% to get in. And like you said, they can't control what else happens during tournament week and championship week, but if they control what they can control and beat USF, then the West Coast Conference just might get four teams in the field. There's a chance that BYU could beat USF and the Dons still get in because of their overall resume. They also might get knocked out. Like, who knows? And, you know, we're, Lenardi is the most renowned bracketologist. The committee could be a little off there, and let's say they have San Francisco you know, as uh, the fourth team in, not the eighth, uh, and then that loss kicks them out. Who knows, right? Um, you just, on the bubble, is, uh, you know, that could be burst quickly. So let's hope that BYU shows up Friday, wins, and then they've got to win the biggest game of the year, you know, the next biggest game of the year, Saturday, and then they've got a shot, right? You at least get to Monday, and then we'll see what happens. But this, this is, was the most ideal scenario given what BYU did to itself, which is losing to Santa Clara and Pacific. It wasn't home San Francisco and Gonzaga that were issues. We're even losing at St. Mary's per se, although that would have helped a ton. But look how good St. Mary's is. St. Mary's is on fire right now, right? Um, wild that be- BYU played St. Mary's to a closer game than Gonzaga did in Moraga. Which is pretty wild. Therefore, BYU is greater than Gonzaga <laughs> in this metric alone only. You know what else helped BYU over the weekend? The quote-unquote rootables mostly went in BYU's favor, meaning the majority of the teams that are on the bubble with BYU lost a game, in some instances two. So continue, if you're a BYU fan, to root against the likes of Michigan, Memphis, Indiana, Rutgers, Loyola, Chicago, San Diego State. A bunch of those teams lost, and that's how BYU jumps up two spots in Lenardi's bracket to last team in while beating LMU and Pepperdine. I didn't know that BYU could do much. It's because of everything that happened around them yeah. that allowed BYU to be now the first team out. Yes, and again, the WCC tournament's so early. Like, like this is the last week of the regular season for most 
conferences. And then the next week they play their tourney. Some of the smaller leagues to get on ESPN for their tournament go early. That's the deal. All right, here's your metric measuring. Let's get to our resume update now officially. BYU at number 50 in the net rankings. And as we have made it public and clear on this show, you typically have to feel like 40, 40, you want to be in the top 40, 42 to feel way better about your overall resume. Yeah, you could be in in the 30s and still not make it, but yeah, 50s low. Okay, Ken Palm also 50, first team out in bracketology. Jerry Palm continues to put BYU in the field. He has them as a 12 seed. They're just in. Friend of the program, Jerry Palm. <laughs> and as you mentioned, 3.7% chance according to team rankings. Yeah. They're crunching numbers, whatever. Win, right, right, win now that's probably, right now that's probably fair, but there's an opportunity for BYU to go and do some work. I'll be interested to see what team rankings would do if BYU beat USF on Saturday. Like, yeah. how much would that improve their chances? I didn't take a math class at BYU. I did broadcasting. So, whatever you say, team rankings. <laughs> Topic two. What has your attention more today? The start of spring football or BYU hoops postseason? Straight up, I am not thinking about BYU football at all. Is I'm that ex- today? I'm excited today? that we get to talk to Jaron Hall. Now, ask me after yeah. we talk to Jaron Hall, and yeah. then, yeah. Part of my focus will be on the Cougars and what used to be the third most popular sport on campus. Has that been supplanted by basketball and women's basketball and some other things? Maybe. I'm just talking an interest, right? Right. Um, Of like, okay, if we did all media consumed of this sport, I've joked in the past that spring football is the third most popular sport. Yes. Right now, there's so (laughs) much juice around the drama of BYU men's basketball and tournament places. Men's is second straight up, whether there's. Whether they're good or not, Man. there's just interest, right? I think women's hoops is Women, coming to that women's place. Hoops is, but that's whew. not the question. Uh, so, yeah, basketball postseason, clearly, um, because BYU's on the bubble. This isn't one of those teams that we saw a couple years ago multiple times. It's like, has no shot, um, you know, that we're just hoping for something yes. good and then yes, it yes. didn't go well. Um, this team has a shot to get in. It's, it's low, but they have a shot. And then, of course, the women's basketball team is going to win multiple games in the NCAA tournament, it would seem. So, and is a heavy favorite going into Vegas, so let's go. Yes. Yeah, spring. Yeah, spring football is fun. Um, there's not a lot of drama with spring football because we don't have a quarterback controversy. What's What's the big contra- What's the big drama of spring? Who's playing left tackle? Like you and I care about that. Who's the Kingsley, running back? Kingsley. That even that one seems pretty obvious. I don't know. Like they brought in Chris Brooks probably to be the guy. We get our first look at Chris Brooks. We would we would think. Um, but yeah. Yeah, totally excited about all of it. Just yeah, basketball postseason right now. Let's Has go. playing Xbox modified Malik Moore's offseason conditioning and training? Hopefully, it's not uh, you know <laughs> worse off because he's played too much. No, I, see, I I am finding myself on a daily basis now looking at okay, which teams on the bubble are playing, and so you know I'm dialed in on all these random games on a Monday and Tuesday night around the country that are featuring the teams I just mentioned, Michigan and Indiana and Loyola Chicago, and why do I care what SMU is doing on a Wednesday night? Typically I wouldn't, but I do because it impacts BYU and their bubble status. Like That's, that's what it has become for me. <laughs> i watched so much college basketball this season, way more than I have watched in the recent past, just because I'm looking at, okay, will this help BYU? Will this hurt them? It's crazy. Now, that's not to say that football isn't always, in some degree, top of mind. Hit it! Countdown to the Bulls. 187. New graphic alert. Love that. 187 days away. 
How's Jaron Hall feeling 187 days away from a vengeance match of sorts for him? He made his first start there at the home of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where the Bulls play, and then he didn't play against USF last year. So basically we're like six months and a week out. Yeah. That's what it is, right? 187? (laughs) Let's go. The best of BYU Sports Station will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Head coach Jeff Judkins is with us in Studio B. Juddy, uh, an incredible, an incredible season. High five. With a statement win by 30 points on the road at Pacific. What was it like when it became conclusive? You were the champs, undisputed, untied, when you were celebrating in that moment. Um, a lot of hard work. Uh, a lot of people's made a lot of sacrifices and um you know it doesn't it's not just one game it's it's for for a team and for a coaching staff winning the conference tournament or excuse me winning the conference is probably more important almost than the conference tournament because it's the whole season that you've played you've had to go through injury sickness covid um travel things all these different things are going during the season and um to be able to win it and be as consistent as we were this year um, really goes to a lot of people. And I, I want to thank my coaching staff for a great job this year, what they did and how how hard they worked and the time they put in for us to be successful. And that includes, you know, Ray and Lee and Mel and Zoe as one of my staff, but also Jeff and um, Stephen, who – my trainer and my strength coach, all those guys have put in so much time to make this program where it needs to be. And, um, you know, we're not where we are because, you know, without them and, you know, the time that they all put in. You've been uh, emotional in the last two visits here about this team, Jeff. What is it about this team that stirs uh, you up in a, a different way? Well, you know, in coaching, you, you always want a team like this. You want a team that works hard. You want a team that's good. You want a team that's hungry. You want a team that has so many different ways of winning. This was the first time in a long time I've had a team that I can play in so different way. I can go big. I can go small. I can I can put all my shooters in. I can put all my athletes. You know, I can do a lot of different things. And uh, we were talking about it on this road trip how we really haven't had a bad practice, you know, all year. Um, they're focused. Uh, I was really worried about going this weekend and saying, okay, beat Gonzaga, we're on high. Will we show up and will we play? And, uh, of course, I brought it up a lot, but they were they were in tune for both games. You know, they knew they had to win Thursday. They knew Saturday we went at SARS. Um, we, started, we started a little rough against Santa Clara, but then we came out and just kind of, put it on them, and then against Pacific, we, we started really quickly. And I think this team's just special. They, they're, these, these girls, they work hard. They love each other. They want to be, be coached. Uh, they want to win, you know. And there's a lot of – I mean, I kind of saw it a little bit, you know, I won't say the team, but the two teams we played this weekend, a couple, you know, they, they once they got kind of down, they just kind of gave up. And my team's never given up. And – so as a coach, that's why I'm kind of, I guess, it's going to come to over in a month and a half 
it'll be over and it'll be tough. It'll be tough to say, hey, you know, this year. I know that you obviously still have major ambitions and goals in the WCC postseason tournament and the approaching NCAA tournament. But right now, would you say this is the best team that you've ever compiled and coached in your tenure here at BYU? I would say it's the best team that I've coached with preseason and conference. Yes. I mean, we we scheduled very hard this year. It's like Connie from the West Coast. She was at our game to give us the award and everything. And she said, I, I don't know what more you guys could have done. You've scheduled hard. You won games hard. You went on the road. You went neutral. Um, you went through our conference. And um, we went through our conference and beat Gonzaga twice. How many times did you beat Gonzaga twice? Um, we had one hiccup, and that game was close. It could have gone either way. Um, but, you know, when it all comes to be the great teams, it comes to, they call it postseason. So the Jazz are going through. Great. You had the best record last year. Congratulations. But you got beat in the first round. You're, you're as good as your last game, and you've got to do well in the postseason tournaments for people to, to say that. And this, that's what that team's going to be aiming for. That's what we're going to be aiming for, for sure. We're we're going this tournament, and some people go, well, you're going just to go down there. You've already won. No, we're going to win this tournament. We're going to win this thing. We want to win it, and then we want to we want to get a good bid in the NCAA tournament and hopefully be able to play really well in, in that. You're a heavy favorite, of course, because you beat the number two seed by double digits both times. But given last year and how it ended on a buzzer beater against Gonzaga, and we've complained about the late trigger on the clock here, and <laughs> da, 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 it fe- with the same team that you had, essentially, it feels like they'll probably uh, be motivated at the level they need regardless. And they've handled uh, the pressure all year of playing with this target on their back, Correct. of being ranked, of being the team that's been in the rankings the most in a season. feels like your team's ready for this moment. Correct. Uh, uh, I mean... What you saw there tonight with Gonzaga and St. Mary's, I mean, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, sometimes things just don't bounce your way and it goes, it goes for their team. But this team's very confident. Um, the one thing we've done as a coaching staff is we, we haven't hidden the pressure. There are a lot of coaches go, oh, no, you know, we've told them, hey, you got a bullseye on your back. You, you were picked first in the league. You're supposed to win these games. You're supposed to do these things. And when we started winning and getting ranked, it became more pressure. And um, that's what I love about these guys is that doesn't bother them. You know, it doesn't bother them for that. They, it feels like they like it. I think they kind of do. You know what I mean? I mean? Yeah, I like, think, I think they like, like yeah, that. bring it on. You know, I think when we had our crowd for Gonzaga, that was the top in, for, of all we've worked for, to have a crowd like that for senior night and to be able to play Gonzaga for the championship. It was, it was, it was special. Juddy, as we wrap up, this is somewhat of a double-barreled question, and I've clearly had my say about how I feel like the AP voters are not really paying attention to what BYU is doing. I think you deserve to be ranked higher than number 19 right now. Certainly, I think you deserve better than a projected five seed, according to ESPN and the NCAA tournament. And I know that being a top four seed means you can host, and hosting at BYU is complicated because of no Sunday play and all that stuff, but... I just want the best matchups for BYU. So where do you feel like you deserve to be seated right now based on the resume that you have compiled to this point? I would say if, if, we, if we win our next two games and we win the, the tournament, we should probably be a four seed. Um, I think we've proven what we need to do. We lost to Oklahoma in overtime, which will probably be a four seed yep. or maybe a three, depending on what they do. And they shot 32 foul shots in our 12, and we lost 
in overtime. I'm still angry about that. Yeah, I'm still angry about it, too. We lose to Portland. You clearly aren't bothered. Yeah, uh, we lost to Portland, so a close game. So I thought a lot of it depends on what we do this this tournament. If we if we win it, I think we should be. If not, we probably deserve a fifth. You know, we've been we've been up there. Uh, really, for us, it doesn't make a difference. It's we're who's in our bracket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's all that matters. Who you match up the best with, and that. And um, you know, it's it's been a great year. It's been a fun year. It's gone by so fast. I think part of it when you have success and you have a team, and you have people around you that you love being around. Things go fast, and so um, I kind of hope it slows up a little bit. This week will be a little bit of rest and, and fine-tune some things that we need to do and go out recruiting and, and try to get our team better for the next next years. And But it, it's been a lot of fun, and I'm really proud of all these guys. It was it was exciting. We had a lot of fans mm. at Stockton, yeah. which was awesome That's to celebrate cool. that. It was really, really nice of them. Juddy, you're a fan favorite. Uh, you're a player's favorite. You're not I'm my, your mom's favorite. My, I was going to say, <laughs> you're not my mom now. Oh, now she likes you better than me. That's great. That's great. <laughs> Thanks for coming hey, in, Hey, thanks, you guys. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. BYU football, spring day one of the 2022 campaign in the books. So let the rash assumptions and overreactions flow through you all. Practice is great. Any football in March is great, but you better believe we are looking forward with great anticipation to the start of the real games in the 2022 season. So let's go. Countdown to the Bulls. 186. 186 days away for those still counting. If you missed it yesterday, it was 187. (laughs) Dave McCann and Blaine Fowler were at practice yesterday and have this recap from day one. The first official practice of the last year as a football independent is in the books and spring practice is underway. Was there a Big 12 vibe in this first workout? I'll tell you, there was a lot of energy out here today. It, like the, the team seemed genuinely be excited to be back out on the field and competing and doing all that. Um, you know, they had shoulder pads and helmets yeah, on, yeah. so they were getting after it. Um, and it felt like they were weeks ahead of where they were in the first practice last year. A really deep veteran football team at every position, really. And you could you could feel that out yeah. there. They knew what they were doing. They were right into their drills, and it was like they hit the ground running here. Jaron Hall was on Sports Nation earlier this week and said, hey, I feel 100%. He looked 100%. Yeah, he looked in midseason yeah. form. He's put on a little muscle, so he's a little bit bigger, protect himself from those hits a little bit. But he threw the ball with touch today. He hit some really nice deep balls. He had great velocity on the underneath throws. Uh, he, he looked really, really good and midseason sharp in the first day of practice. We talked with Puka Nakua. This was his first spring practice in all the years of playing football at Division One level, didn't have any at Washington. Was was out last year with a with an injured foot. Uh, he said it was awesome. It's awesome to go full speed and be healthy. All Puka does is bring energy to every play he's involved in, and and he's if you come to practice, he's the guy that just stands out. You go, whoa, that dude can flat out play better than anybody out here. And you combine him with Gunnar Romney at yeah. that wide receiver. We spot, saw a couple of bombs today. The, those two guys were making catches all over the place um, out in practice today, and they're uh, going against the best. 
I loved what I saw in the fact that every time one of those guys came up, uh, D'Angelo Mandel, D'Lo, he would say, I got him. And D'Lo would come up, and, and Puka would come up to the line and go, let's go, D'Lo. Come on, let's go. The best wanted to go against the best. Yeah. The, the, the feeling of competition was out there in this one today. And, and you love that. When the guys are coming out and they're having fun and they're competing, they're getting better when they're going against the best. Finally, we talked with Dallin Hawker, who lost his voice, but he's going at number five. That's going to be his old Lehigh High School number. He feels better at number five. If you feel good, go with it. Isaac Rex we talked to as well. He's not in drills, but he thinks he'll be back in the fall. Yeah, he was here and he's walking around. Um, if he's back in the fall, then all of a sudden that tight end room is really, really deep again. And yeah. Dallin Holker, we mentioned that Jaron Hall looks like he put on some muscle. Hulk, Holker also put on some muscle weight. He still ran like a wide receiver, like we're used to seeing him run, but looks a little bigger. Last year, just off of a mission, you know, got forced right. into action with injuries. This year, he's going to be more prepared to play. He's got a bigger body, and by next fall, I expect him you know, to be 235, 240 pounds and running around. Good to have football in the air. It's fun. Day one is over. Practice number two, Tuesday night. For Blaine Fowler, I'm Dave McCann. It is football season again, even though it's the spring. Indeed. Thank you, Dave McCann and Blaine Fowler. They were talking about guys that put on muscle. That's always one of the things that everybody talks about. I want to know who got fatter. Football. Okay. Like, hey, I didn't. I just ate uh, lard over the break. <laughs> That's what I want to know. Okay. I went last night. Uh, Jaron Hall had two, two dimes that were just uh, incredible. One to Puka on the sideline, one deep to Gunnar Romney. Gunnar's got some flow in the back, by the way. Mm-hmm. Jacob Conover's got like football pants on, but he cut them off like halfway up his uh, you know, leg. So, like, Mitch Matthews-type short shorts. Yeah, which is uh, an interesting look. I do uh, have some news, uh, sad news to report that Houston Hamuli did shave his mustache. It was a great mustache. It was a great mustache. He said he was getting you know roasted, though. It's already it. memorialized in the poster that he created with his yes. brother, Hema. So, that's, that's you always news. have that. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, certain guys sitting out with injuries and whatnot. Peyton Wilgar, uh, notably among them. But, uh, yeah, good to see Christopher Brooks in there. He looks Houston, big and strong and Mullen fast. And, yeah, that was great. And Ben Bywater is the off-season yoked player of the day, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, Benjamin For, got after we it. We all want to talk about Basically, it. Oh, he looks football ready right now. BYU is going to win the national championship based on yeah. day one of no pads. Like, like yeah, hard to know exactly what that Rash is. assumptions and overreactions. Yeah, I'm going to get a rash from all these assumptions. Let's add to it, shall we? Head coach Kalani Satake added several soundbite gems on day one, so let's listen to a few of those and discuss. Beginning with the aforementioned new running back, transfer Christopher Brooks, and the running back group. He looked really, really good today. And, and um, you know, I, I thought he and Lopini looked really nice and Hinkley did some good things. I mean, that whole group, um, McChesney, I mean, that whole group, it's deep too. So, uh, But from what I saw in Chris and the plays that he made, uh, he, he, he can really fit our scheme. All right. He will. Have yeah. they found the replacement for Tyler Algier? No. You don't replace Tyler Algier, but Christopher Brooks is going to be a good running back. It would be hilarious, though, if they were like, crap, he does not fit our scheme. We'll have to change the scheme, I guess. Yeah, he's going he's gonna to fit into the scheme, which would be great. I, I think we're all stoked for Christopher Brooks, right, that he could become a 1,000-yard guy behind that offensive line. In fact, if he doesn't – if he's the guy, like if it's, he's the starter and it's clear, yeah, yeah. we expect 1,000 yards from Christopher Brooks. I do. Behind that offensive line? Absolutely. I'd expect like 300 from you. 
You know what I mean? Like, Find that offensive yeah. line? I'd be disappointed if I couldn't get at least 300. <laughs> at least 300. Good grief. I didn't say how many carries either, you know? You know, I, I mean, tongue-in-cheek, I ask you, can he replace Tyler Algier? Because you're right. Nobody can replace Tyler Algier. Yeah. But did we see this enough is yesterday? This the pass I was talking about to Gunner right there. Did we see enough yesterday from Chris Brooks to think, okay. <laughs> what? To think he's going to be the starting running back against USF. <laughs> I don't know. We're I'm overreacting, Jerem. No, well, it's not an overreaction to think he will be. Here's why. You don't bring him in to be a backup, per se. You know what I mean? Lopini Katoa is probably feeling like, hey, I've earned the opportunity to get a shot at being the guy or I want to be the guy. But to me, Lopini is a great number two. He is. I think Christopher Brooks starts as your guy. Workhorse back, power five dude, um, has done nothing to not you know, deserve this opportunity too. And guess what? You probably need both. Like Tyler Algier, the fact that he lasted all season, um, and he was banged up. He played through an injury, too. Was incredible. Nothing short of incredible. BYU needed Jackson McChesney at USC. Right? Like, you can't just, like, literally on this show, we can't just rely on you and I to host it. We have to have other amazing people to uh, support, you know? He's going to be the starter. He'll be the starter. Yeah, I think so. Clint Taki was asked about the five new hires to his coaching staff and if this was just the beginning of the expansion of the staff. Unprecedented is not just only five guys, you know, so we'll see. I mean, I, I don't know if there's a limit to it, but, like, let's just keep it going. I, I think Tom and, and the administration doing, is doing a good job at getting us the resources, and there's a lot more that we propose that we ask for, and, and we'll get there. But I, I, like the, the, I like the momentum that it's gaining and the opportunity that we have to have, you know, just, just to add a resources that get us to that level that we need to be going into this fall and definitely into next year. I love reading between the lines. Sure. Sarcastic Kalani. Come on now. Clearly five's not enough to him. Shoot your shot, brother. <laughs> Make it public. Let's go. He's, he is. <laughs> five is not unprecedented. He is. Five Guys is actually a restaurant. Very clear about not just what he wants, but what he legitimately feels like he needs to make the transition to the Big 12. Yes. No, no bones about it. Sure. Like, yeah. he has stated his opinion. That's got to be the tip of the iceberg. Like adding some some analysts no. and assistant strength and conditioning coaches is awesome, but it's not the end, right? And it's clearly not the end. BYU has, and this is an approximation, about an average of twenty fewer staff members per football staff within the current construct of the Big Twelve. So adding, twenty, yeah, adding five Wait, brings yeah. that number a little bit closer to what they want to be to be like the other Big Twelve institutions. Only fifteen more. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> is Kalani going to get what he wants? We hope. Coach, if he doesn't, you'll hear more sarcastic sound bites like that. Coach Satake, not surprisingly, is excited about what he sees already from his offensive line, but he also likes what he saw from his defensive line on day one, which may qualify to some as a surprise. I'm really excited about our depth. I, I, I thought we've always had some really good t- talent, but um, the, the game-ready talent I've seen from the O-line – I mean, don't underestimate the D-line. The D-line's going to be really good, too. And they're strong. They're just young. And uh, they'll grow up a lot in the next next few months before we get for fall camp. So I'm excited about the big boys. I want to see them, you know, put the helmets on and clash a little bit and get bigger and stronger and but gain more valuable com- competition and, and experience, some violent experience in, the, in, the, in spring football. Violent experiences. Violent experience. Jerem, will the Cougars own both sides of the ball in the trenches in the 2022 season? 
O-line is pretty proven, and you add a healthy Harris Lachance back and Kingsley Suamatia, one of the highest recruits ever signed. The O-line to me is like, yeah, that better be dominant. The D-line, I'm excited for when that happens. I hope that soon. They just have more to prove in that regard. And we're talking about, okay, are you, are you stuffing the run at a high level, which BYU's done a good job traditionally, not as much last year, but like previously. And then, hey, can you get to the quarterback sometimes when there's a traditional drop back? I'm not talking about when they get the ball out quick. You're not going to get to the quarterback. It's those, okay, third and long, they need to drop back, and you get some real pressure on, and you affect the play. Uh, create some havoc more often, more regularly. That's what we're looking for. Young guys like Logan Fano and company hopefully add to that group. Yeah, how much youth is on that defensive line based on all the experience that that youth picked up in actual games last year? He said they're still a little bit young, but they don't feel so young anymore. They went through a lot of tough stuff, a lot of reps. A lot of guys got meaningful reps last year. On that yes, line. so do it. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Time to whip it. Cougar Whip Around presented by Marisk, your integrated container logistics company enabling global trade for a growing world. Would win against San Francisco on Saturday, assuming BYU was right. Do what last night San Diego State win at Wyoming did for them. Absolutely. I mean, we're talking about a very, very similar circumstance. San Diego State was just behind BYU on the bubble. In a quad one opportunity, they won that game. Why would it not do that for BYU? Yeah, it, it feels like BYU would go from two out to maybe three or four in. That's that good of a win on Saturday the, if they get it. The hope is that that would hold because it's <laughs> it's going to be eight days before Selection Sunday. So the hope is that it's like, can BYU not slide out? Yeah, it's going to be a, a white-knuckle finish for BYU men's basketball, uh, driving to what they hope is an NCAA tournament spot. Hopefully it's a fifth quad one win, maybe a sixth, Jerem, if Oregon you know what? sneaks in there. I don't know. I think winning in the NIT may be better than losing in the first round, said the idiot. Oh, gosh. Jerem, this is March, officially. It's March 1st. But will a BYU basketball team be playing in April? Spencer, I have a shocking answer for you. No. I really hope the women's team makes a Sweet 16 run or better. But yeah, April would be like the Final Four. April would be program changing. That'd be amazing. (laughs) Earth moving. Listen, this women's team could go on any kind of run they want to. You know what I mean? But, like, I'll take the Sweet 16. Sure. I would take the Sweet 16. It's so often about matchups. Like, what region and quadrant does BYU get put in? Which number one seed would they be playing in the Sweet 16? Like, it's all about matchups. All right. Jerem, take us to uh, some retro uniforms. Yes. With the Tampa Bay Bucks bringing back the Cream School unis for 2023, should the Cougars bring back the bibs for the inaugural Big 12 season? Uh, No. No, It's just (laughs) too soon. It's still too soon. There will never be a time where these will be a good look, <laughs> ever. Ne- I, never. For a, for a one-off, maybe against, like, uh, you know, an old Mountain West foe 10 years down the road, maybe. It's just too soon. No, never. Never? They should, they should be used for, you know, uh, animals, cleaning up stuff. No, ne- ne- they're the worst. 
That was an that was an apostasy. Certainly an not for the certainly not for the inaugural Big Twelve season. Even Rob Morris hates him, and he was like one of the best players on the team. Come on, man. At West Coast Football, ask the following question on Twitter: Which Western college football programs fans would become unbearable if said team ever became a powerhouse? Jerem, do BYU fans need to become a powerhouse program to finally become unbearable? Well, Cougar Board is already unbearable. Uh, yeah, we would be, become, be nice. We would be, why? We would become pretty unbearable uh, if that happened. We're still waiting for Utah to become a powerhouse because they would be unbearable too. Well, Utah One fans Rose already Bowl think parents, BYU fans are unbearable. We are. So are they. We're all unbearable. One Rose Bowl in 11 years does not make you a powerhouse. Oh, for a second, you were saying one Rose Bowl, and I didn't know how far back you were going to go, and I thought you might be talking about UCLA. UCLA. Yeah, it's like 94 or something. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get so the bad. daily dig on the uh, UCLA Bruins college football program. Viewer <sighs> Sports Nation viewer, Nelvin Wilson tweeted that he finally got the Spencer Linton rookie card. Oh. Oh, and that Zach Wilson was on it, too. So happy. Um, is, is this actually your rookie card featuring Zach Wilson? Mm, debatable. You know, I always wanted to There's be on a these. sports card. I collected a ton of these. I'm still waiting for the Beckett magazine to come back so that we can get the actual value of this rookie card. And that the value is 97 cents. Me and that other guy named Zach Wilson. That other chump. <laughs> this is definitely a Zach Wilson rookie card. Yeah. I am very out of focus in the background. We should do that right now with you. Can we do that? Can you pull focus here on Spence? Oh, very just, just super out of focus. Out of focus. Just out of focus. Take me out of Roll focus. It. It's what I, yeah. There you go. There, we there you go. go. Now, now that that's exactly what I look like in the rookie card right there. <laughs> Fantastic. Let's do the rest except of the like, segment with this. I'm like folding my arms. I'm looking <laughs> concerned because. So, I, you know, I know that play, Jerem. That's it's it's on the final drive, and Zach is scrambling for a few yards of, uh, to get out of bounds to save of, some time. Of what? At the Tennessee game in the fourth at quarter. Tennessee. Yes, yeah, on that final drive. Yeah. There's a reason yeah. I was looking concerned. It was not good. Not good. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout. For the trending topics of the week, here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. West Coast Conference Awards came out yesterday. Uh, the coaches voted. The league has declared them for the season. So, Spencer, what did we learn about how the Cougars' seasons went based on those awards? I think it's very telling, Jerem, that this is the first time since BYU joined the West Coast Conference more than a decade ago that the Cougars on the men's side don't have at least two combined players on the first and second teams combined. Just Alex Barcelo. Then you look at, well, this is the first time BYU has not been a one, two, or three seed going into the men's postseason tournament. They are a number five. And it all kind of makes sense. In a way, it's kind of a microcosm of what this season has been for the BYU men in the WCC. So, yeah, I, th I feel like it makes sense. Uh, Alex is well-deserving of that first-team honor. But BYU is at their best, not surprisingly, when they have a big two or even a big three. Their best seasons have come with a big two or big three. Two years ago, it was Yoli Childs, Jake Toulson, and TJ Haas. Even last year, it was... You know, a bunch of different guys. It was uh, 
Alex Barcelo doing his thing again, along with Matt Harms. Wouldn't it be nice to have Matt Harms this year? I mean, BYU just hasn't had a co-star for Alex Barcelo, so it makes perfect sense to me that this is where BYU is. And frankly, it says a lot about what's going to have to happen if BYU is indeed going to win their first game on Friday night and then have a shot at USF. And if they are to beat USF, the Cougars are going to have to have somebody co-star alongside Alex Barcelo, whether that's Fusini Traore or it's T. John Lucas or it's somebody off the grid, if it's Caleb Lohner. It just it all makes sense, Jerem. Yeah, for the for the men, uh, it's clearly A.B., obviously, right? And, yeah, any team that just has one star is not going to be that good. Look at the Lakers right now, right? They're looking around going, A.D.'s injured, Westbrook stinks. Uh, we're the eight seed or seven or whatever. Yeah, for BYU, yeah, it makes total sense. Like, the coaches look at A.B. and go, yep, that's a star. BYU always has one, but BYU traditionally always has two, you pointed out, if not three. So it makes sense that BYU is a five. In fact, BYU probably could have been a five without a single star. But here we are. So, yes, someone's, someone's got to show up here, uh, you know, coming up in this tournament, which we'll talk about in a second. But it, it, before the season, I think we thought it was going to be Caleb Lohner, that he was going to be perhaps that other dude. We didn't exactly know with Richard Harvin and Gavin Baxter. Gavin Baxter was playing like probably a second teamer in non-conference. I think he might have ended up there. I'm a little surprised in the end, you know, given when BYU, before pre-Santa Clara, T. John Lucas was probably a second-teamer and then kind of faded to where he wasn't even really mentioned. So that was disappointing. Uh, but hopefully next year a guy like Caleb Lohner can be that guy. Because if you look at next year right now, Spence, who's the first-teamer on BYU's team next year? Is it Caleb Lohner? It's probably Foose. It's probably Foose, and then you're hoping for somebody else. Yeah, and you're and you're hoping that it's Fusini Traore because he's not even a second teamer this year. I mean, he's all freshman team. We kind of thought that Caleb Lohner, as you mentioned, would be that guy to make the jump from all freshman team to all conference performer. That didn't happen. So BYU fans are hoping it's Foos, or is it a guy that Mark Pope finds in the transfer portal, which you know he will be looking at very very carefully and combing through heavily in the off season because when you lose Alex Barcelo, who's that guy to step up? That's a great question. Also of note, let's continue the conversation, Jaron, with topic two. Las Vegas is full of dynamic duos. Donnie and Marie, Penn and Teller, the guys with the Tigers. <laughs> okay? But on that note, Jaron, if Alex Barcelo is Donnie, who is going to be his metaphorical sidekick or Marie to help BYU get past San Francisco and get to a semifinal on Monday against Gonzaga? Marie might argue that it's Marie and Donnie, but that's a conversation for another day. I'm really hoping that Tijon Lucas is big in this tournament. He's played 141 career games. Like, the dude's played in the Big Ten. He's played, uh, you know, well with Milwaukee. Now he's at BYU looking for a chance to play a significant role in the NCAA tournament. Tijon Lucas has got to be a guy. Um, I'm hoping he's the number two. When BYU was really rocking and rolling, Tijon was the number one distributor. Tijon was scoring double figures consistently. Um, and, you know, he's at 11 a game, but, but in, non, in conference play, it's just been a little lower. I'm hoping that Tijon's the guy. There are other names that need to show up as well, and it was fun to see Caleb Lohner against LMU. Listen, LMU had no bench, and, uh, you know, Pepe, uh, you know, wasn't, the, wasn't there. Uh, and it, he wasn't matched up with Eli Scott. <laughs> he took advantage of it, right? Which is awesome. But I don't know if I can expect that from Caleb every game. He's a good player. I want to see it. 
Uh, Foose, how much can we ask from him at this point? Can we ask him to be the number two? Like, when I look around, I see a lot more experience. I kind of want those guys to lead the way in Vegas. Plus, Foose has thrived when he's not going up against some of the the bigger uh, names in the league. Like, when it's against San Francisco and St. Mary's and Gonzaga, obviously it's a different challenge. So we can ask Foose Friday to be awesome, but on Saturday should be while you get there against San Francisco. Masalski is a different challenge. It's it, I can't ask Foose to, to win that battle, per se. Absolutely. Three-point shooting is going to be a huge factor if – and when BYU gets to that matchup with San Francisco, you're right. I agree 100%. It has to be T. John Lucas, not just because he can score the basketball. He's been an alpha before, and he creates so many opportunities for his teammates. It has to be T. John Lucas, and he is fully capable of doing this. That's why Mark Pulp, every time he's asked about T. John, he always talks about T. playing on attack. When he plays on attack, it's just a different team. It's a different dynamic because he can do so many different things. He is a ball distributor and a ball scorer. So it, it needs to be him. He's the other senior alpha alongside Alex Barcelo. They told us about this beautiful movie they were going to make. Well, we have it set up down here in Las Vegas, Showtime City, for this to go down. The story has been laid out. The adversity has been put in front of them. How will this movie end with Alex Barcelo and T. John Lucas? They need to be the guys together that are co-starring in Vegas. They can make it happen. They're the ones that are going to create open, good three-point opportunities for Gideon George and Trevin Nell and Spencer Johnson and maybe even Caleb Lohner if he decides to take some threes down here. It's got to be T. John because of everything that he brings to the table potentially for BYU. Foose can only do so much. That inside presence can only do so much, uh, especially against Masalski, first-teamer in the LWCC, and uh, the rest of the Don. So I, I agree with you 100%. It's got to be the dynamic duo of that senior alpha backcourt. T. John Lucas is the guy, and he is fully capable of stepping up into that role. And what if Alex just says, you know what, maybe I do have to score 25 and not you know, 19 in this. Maybe Alex has to do a little more too. I don't know. Uh, BYU feels like their best basketball's uh, ahead of them. Well, that's Friday, and you don't know what happens after that. Because if you lose Friday, you're in the NIT. If you win Saturday, you still might be in the NIT, but hopefully you're in March Madness. Okay, let's get to the resume update. Net drops one to 53. Ken Palm goes up three to 47. Jerry Palm has BYU as an 11th seed. Jerry Brackets, as you guys call them. Gold Jerry. Uh, he does not have BYU in the first four. They're just in as an 11 seed. I wish that was the case. I don't I don't know. Team rankings. <laughs> Yay, up 0.2%. Uh, nothing, nothing from Lenardi right now updated, by the way. We're waiting on Joe Lenardi. Joe, where are you at, man? March start. We need, we need every day. Where are you? Uh, Bracken Matrix, uh, 11.69 seed, 54 of 130 brackets. So hopefully this happens. Yeah, and Jerem, really, I mean, BYU was two out in Lenardi's last bracket. Uh, I know that there's been a little bit more movement on the bubble, and, and I've been watching those rootables day to day. I'm just glad that BYU is still only two out going into last night because the bubble over the past few days had not been favorable to BYU. So 
Uh, interested to see where BYU falls today. John Gassaway told us earlier this week 40% chance to make the tournament. If they beat San Francisco, does that climb up towards 60 or 65%? Let's just get there. Let's get to that point and then see. Maybe Jerry Palm has BYU as a single-digit seed if they beat USF. Yeah, that, that'd be just dumb. BYU and LMU tonight in the second round of the West Coast Conference Basketball Championships, 9 Eastern time on BYU TV and BYU Radio. So, on a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you BYU's winning tonight? Jeremiah, I'm going to say 8 out of 10 because I think if they play the game 10 times, BYU's probably winning 8. And the Cougars should be able to take advantage of the fact that LMU had to expend a lot of energy last night to handle Pacific. Joe Quintana is not going to go for 31 against BYU. The Cougars are going to lock him down. They know very well they need to be on him at all times after what he did in this gym last night. So I'd say like an 8 out of 10, BYU is going to beat LMU tonight and advance to a game that the Cougars absolutely have to have, just that opportunity against USF. BYU knows what's on the line. They're a desperate team. They're going to play like a desperate team. And that, uh, I think, will will yield good results tonight for Mark Pope and his guys. How about you? Where are you on the scale of 1 to 10 confident that BYU uh, wins tonight against LMU? Nine and a half. I think BYU just is a tough, too Ooh. tough of a matchup. Yeah. This isn't BYU coming off a four-game losing streak, going on the road at LMU. That was a weird game. They went to OT. I realize that. If Kelly Leopepa de, uh, doesn't play, LMU's got no shot because Quintana is not going to go off. He did not. BYU defends him really well. Okay, Pacific did not. Um, you know, th- this is an LMU squad that has Eli Scott. He shoots long twos. He's an efficient player, but he isolates. He's, he's, the ball gets sticky. No, BYU's, gonna, BYU's extremely motivated. Let me tell you why I feel so high. When BYU has lost an early round game in this situation, this has happened twice, both to San Diego, right? 2013 or something, and then the 2019 uh, tournament. The team wasn't super motivated into it because they were headed for the NIT or nothing in this situation. This team has a shot still at the, at the uh, NCAA tournament. They're motivated. They know they need it. They're going to show up. There's, I don't see any way... BYU blows this opportunity. With that said, we've seen BYU blow this opportunity. But I don't see it tonight against (laughs) LMU in this matchup. I don't see it. Definitely. The urgency is there, and part of that urgency is BYU being well aware of where they stand in all of the bracket numbers and the net rankings, which takes us to topic two and our BYU basketball resume update. Let's give you the latest numbers as it pertains to this very, very important Friday. And the net rankings, BYU holding steady at number 53. Certainly they have to beat LMU tonight to maintain that number. And then what happens if they get to a USF game and win that game? Can they get into the mid-40s or maybe even higher? BYU 48 in the Ken Palm. Jerry Palm is still every BYU basketball fan's favorite bracketologist because he has the Cougars in as a solid 11 seed. He's yeah, Jerry. He's quadrant one victories, clearly. And Joe Lenardi, BYU still the second team out in his latest bracket. Team rankings needs to be taken off the screen, frankly. I'm sick and tired <laughs> of those low percentages. What do you mean? It went up 0.3%. <laughs> Bracket matrix, 45 of 112 brackets. BYU remains in and on the right side of the bubble. So, Jerem, with those numbers in mind, will BYU's men's basketball season be defined by what happens tonight and tomorrow night, essentially this weekend? 
Probably. Uh, BYU's 21-9. This has been a good season, obviously, probably even better than it should be given the injuries. BYU's played well. Obviously, had a four-game losing streak. That wasn't great. But if you had said, okay, they lose Baxter and Harvard, they're going to go 21-9, and and they still have a shot at the tourney at the end, I'd be like, hey, I like that. That's pretty good given those injuries. BYU certainly needs to win tonight. And then BYU needs to beat San Francisco. If they don't, they're out. They're in the NIT. And it's like, well, shoot, those injuries ended up costing BYU this season. And they, and they overachieved for a while. Oregon wasn't as good as we thought. San Diego State is probably on par with what we thought. Utah State kind of dipped, right? Um, there were some good wins there. But we can't look at Missouri State and be like, that was one of the greatest wins BYU had this year. Like, that can't be a win <laughs> where we're like, yeah, the Bears went down. I think it's true that, yes, this weekend will define BYU. Because, honestly, it's like, did you get into the tourney or not? The last two years, Mark Pope has set a high standard. We expect the tourney now. Yeah, and, and Jerem, when you look at what what's on the line this week, what's truly on the line, I, I kind of laugh because a few weeks ago, Every BYU fan or a lot of BYU fans in my Twitter mentions were saying, Spencer, you're crazy to think that BYU doesn't have to beat St. Mary's and still get into the tournament. And I said, now look, there are still opportunities if it shakes out this way. And it did shake out that BYU has a path to take on USF. They can have lost to a really good St. Mary's team and still get in the tournament, which is why, yes, it wasn't about the St. Mary's game. It's about this weekend. BYU controls their destiny to a degree and can get into the NCAA tournament, I believe, strongly with wins against LMU and USF. I think there's just too much strength if BYU can have five quadrant one victories, including a recent win against USF on a neutral court, giving BYU two out of three. So, man, I th- that five number, if BYU has five quadrant one victories, come on. Like, I don't know how the committee doesn't see what Jerry Palm is seeing and what we're seeing and saying, okay, five, five's a pretty high number for quality wins when you compare it to the team, again, like North Carolina, who's after this weekend when they lose to Duke, they're going to have one <laughs> quadrant one victory and be one and eight. Like, that's going to happen. No way Krzyzewski's going to lose that last game to North Carolina. No. But I, I digress. BYU, no if they have five quad one wins, my goodness, you cannot lead them out of the tournament. So it is about this weekend. It has come down to this, and I kind of love it. I, the, dr- the dramatics here, like what's on the line, it has made this tournament extremely compelling. It's always compelling. This is a unique situation, a new situation. BYU's never been in as the five seed. And with the WCC trying to get four teams in, I'm really, really interested to see how the Cougars come out. And if they do play like the desperate team that you and I think they will play like tonight and tomorrow. Oh, yeah. If this team uh, comes out tonight and lays an egg, then, yeah, no, they're completely defined by losing to LMU in this tournament and collapsing at the end of the year. And, yes, it will not have been about the injuries per se, although that will be a storyline. It'll be like BYU couldn't figure it out, unfortunately. I don't believe that's going to happen. I believe BYU is going to win tonight. I think you do as well. You know, you mentioned 8 out of 10. So let's go, man. Let's get let's, – BYU, get this win tonight. And then it's a battle royale tomorrow night with San Francisco. That's a huge game coming up. Okay, Tyler Algier yeah, is performing. And I'm hoping the BYU doesn't have to expend a ton of energy. Well, right? yes, yes. Okay, let's flash back to 2011. BYU beats New Mexico. It's the 52-point game. It's Jim Fredette. It's Jackson Emery. It's all those guys. They used all the gas in the tank just to get to Tuesday night. Now, that different situation where they were going to end up a three anyway 
but they were going for something higher, like a two. Like, remember, a couple weeks before, BYU was going for a one seed. Like, BYU was the third-ranked team in the country. But they did exhaust all everything they had, didn't have enough to beat San Diego State. In this case, you're right. BYU has to win this game, and hopefully convincingly, because you've got a rested San Francisco sitting there tomorrow. That's a great point. Okay, Tyler Algier is performing on the field today in Indianapolis at the NFL Combine. The 40 is a massive deal for skill positions, of course. What time do you think he's going to run? I'm going to put Tyler at a 4-4-1. He will be in the 4-4s. I know he's been laser-timed at BYU at a 4-3-9, and that has happened multiple times, but he's bulked up just a little bit too. He's stronger. He's still really fast. 4-4-1 would be a blazing time for a guy of his stature, and I think he absolutely is going to deliver that today. 4-4-1 is what I am doubling down on for Tyler Algier at the NFL Combine today. He's going to turn some heads, and I'm excited. He's going to raise his stock today. I just don't see any way he doesn't do that. People will know more about Tyler Algier after today. They will pay more attention to him, as they should have been paying attention to him anyway because he was awesome in the actual season. But, yeah, his numbers, they're going to draw some attention. Yes, I think he's in the 4-4 range. I go 4-4-8, and pay is the operative word there because he's going to climb into the third or fourth round where if he runs a 4-5, maybe he slides a little bit, late 4th, 5th or something, we'll see. But yeah, it's speed, it's power, it's uh, versatility, it's willingness, it's the personality. Tyler Ogier is going to get paid later because of what he does today and what he's <laughs> been doing, right? This is a big yeah. day for him, so best of luck to Tyler. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Joining us to kick off the spring football coverage is the quarterback of the BYU Cougars, Jaron Hall, from his home over Zoom. Jaron, welcome to BYU Sports Nation. And Jada May. It's bring your kids' day to work as well, my friend. Word, man. I've been waiting to say that for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) What are your emotions like on a day like today when you know and your coaches have made it clear that you're the guy, you're the quarterback going not into just the fall but into spring football? A lot of excitement. You know, there's a lot of work ahead of us. Excited to get back with the guys again on the field, start playing football. It's been a couple months, and we've all been you know, itching to get back out there again. So it's just a good morning. You know, the birds were chirping this morning. Sun is shining. It's a good day to play, play some football. Yes, it is. Indoors in the indoor practice facility, right? Um, more work at home with Jada or with the team at quarterback? Uh, currently with Jada. But, uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, got to get breakfast. Gotta, hey, the Binky's in. That's a veteran move. I like that. That was a good decision, which was part of uh, what happened last year, which was great decision-making, which we'll talk about in a second. But we did our countdown to the Bulls uh, a moment ago, 187 days till that game. Of course, that probably um, brings up certain memories, obviously, from 2019 and your first start. Um, how excited are you to open the season with the team that, hey, you want to be able to play this year because you didn't play in the game last year? Oh, for sure. I'm excited. You know, I decided for another year of, of health, good fortune. I'm excited to play in that first game before to get back to the you know, Buckingham Stadium. It's a pretty cool venue. Um, start playing again. It's, uh, you know, 100, 187 days. It'll be here pretty quick. 
more. So we'll just take it day by day and get ready to go. Exciting. Jaron, you have not forgotten, I'm sure. You made your first start against USF at that stadium. Did not end the way that you and BYU would have wanted it to. So how have you changed the most and grown the most as a quarterback from that first start in Tampa to where you are now approaching another season opener against the Bulls? It's a lot more mature. I'm just understanding the game of football, understanding that even at a college level, still football um, slowed down a lot for me. Um, and just simplifying things. I mean, it's been two years plus some. So it's uh, a lot of lot of time to grow physically, mentally. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, I feel like I'm a whole new person since that first game I played here at BYU. And you're going into your fifth uh, you know, season at BYU, which is crazy. I, th- I think people forget how long uh, you've been here, right? Right? Eight, uh, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21. 20. You, you didn't play in every season. You've had some injuries over time. To, and you know what? Jada made it a few minutes in. That was pretty good. I thought she did an excellent job, right? She executed the game plan? Yeah. She'll be back soon. Though. She'll be back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Diaper change, perhaps. Good thing this isn't in 4D. But the, the journey for you has been one where you've had to wait, right? So how satisfying was it to be the starter for the majority of last year, as, as much as you could, as healthy as you could be? It's fine. Like you said, it's, it, was a, it was a long time coming. I dreamed that when I was a little kid, and then it took a couple of years when I got here to finally get my number called. Uh, but it just shows, you know, it's, it's okay to, to wait your time, continue to work. It was the best thing for me. Give me all that extra time to prepare and be ready for my first official season as a starter. Uh, so it's just a blessing to be able to play with those guys, see all the hours and hours of hard work you put on the years before. I uh, finally go out there and put it on display. It was a good time. It was a dream come true for me, and I know for everybody else around me that was playing. So uh, we've got a special group of guys, and it'll be fun to, to run it back again. BYU quarterback Jaron Hall is with us on BYU Sports Nation. Heading into spring ball, Jaron, of course you sat out the bowl game, and a bunch of your teammates were hurt late in the season. Hopefully now everyone's starting to feel better. So with that in mind, how would you describe your overall physical health right now? I'm healthy. I'm back to 100%. Uh, you know, I had my ups and downs this last year, but everybody does. Thankfully, it was never anything serious, which I think was a step in the right direction for me you know, from the last couple of years. So the goal is just to take it one more step further, just find ways that I can improve you know, off the field and on the field with my health. Um, and just have a good good foundation for, for week one to play all 13, 14 games, whatever it is next year. I know you haven't talked about this publicly, but I want to walk through it if that's okay, is what you went through physically last year. So did you did you break a rib in the Arizona game? Yeah, so the first game of the season, I cracked a couple or bruised a couple. We, we couldn't get them image. And then the Utah game officially cracked the three of them completely. And then uh, Arizona State had some chest issues on top of that. So it was a, it was a rough couple of weeks, but I uh, made it through. I'm here now, so we're, uh, we're good. That's wild, dude. The p- fact that you played in the Arizona State game and the Utah game with that, and then was it a foot injury in the USC game that held you out of UAB? Yeah, yeah, foot and ankle injury. Uh, just something that happened late in the game. The adrenaline got me through, didn't notice it, and then uh, yeah, after that it just kind of went downhill. It never got right before UAB. And you're feeling good now, you said. That's great. Okay, so with those injuries in mind, and you said it, nothing serious that would put you out for a number of games or the season for that matter, how do you approach your play as a quarterback this year behind what looks like 
an all-time offensive line. How, how does your style of play or your thought process change wanting to stay healthy but knowing you're bringing back a ton of experience up front? Yeah, I think in terms of how I play the game won't change. Um, I feel like we had a successful offense last year. Just a couple of things to fine-tune all around. Um, but for me, just improving and, and understanding that we've got a really good line. There's no need to stress. There's no need to worry. They'll give me time but also just taking what we get. You know, that's the goal. So they'll, they'll, they'll be stout up front. They'll do their deal. Um, you know, we just got to have better chemistry between me and the receivers, the tight ends. And that's kind of the focus, I think, the spring ball is, is one, keeping everybody healthy, getting through a good spring ball, and then just improving with timing, improving with the small details of the same offense we've done for four years, and, and just knowing it better than any team that's come through BYU. Is the number one offensive position battle this spring going to be at left tackle between Kingsley Suamata'i and Blake Freeland? Because if, if that's actually going down, that's going to be epic. I couldn't tell you if that's number one. I think every position will have a battle this year, the depth that we have. Um, but those guys will be fun to see, you know, you know uh, not battle it out, but be out there together doing their things. So who knows yeah. how that line will pick up, where they'll be and what will happen. I couldn't tell you, but I'm just, I'm just grateful to have all those guys up front doing their thing. Jaron, how can BYU's offense equal its production from a season ago after losing a guy like Tyler Algier? Everybody just has to step up. Our depth has to increase, and in and, and the guards and young guys, you know, they've been doing a good job at this point throughout the workouts and meetings. But young guys realizing that they'll have their shots, just like last year. I'm sure a lot of guys didn't expect to play in the USC game like they did. So that's the mindset that our whole team has to have this year, especially offensively, at every position. Next guy up has got to be ready. He's got to be ready as if you were starting. So that's got to be the approach for everybody if you're going to get in and play that game. And so I think if we're ready to go with every single snap, I think if we know the defense better than the defense knows themselves, I think that's really where we'll be able to take advantage of teams and score a lot of points. And so I think we just got to fine-tune some things and make sure everybody's ready to go. Jackson McChesney was ready to go. Great example in that game. He gets in, gets a couple carries, scores his game-winning touchdown. That was crazy, right? Let's talk about receivers. It sounded like Chase Roberts really came on at the end of the season in practice. We're hoping to see a guy like Cody Epps, who was Bryce Young's uh, main receiver in high school, the Alabama quarterback and Heisman winning guy. Keanu Hill came on. What do you think of kind of the next group, uh, you know, behind Puka Nakua and some of that and Gunnar Romney and some of that experience? Yeah, I mean, we know Puka and Gunner, you know, Isaac and all those guys, we know what they do. It's so exciting in the spring to see guys like Chase, even Kibo develop. Even though we saw him make a lot of plays, he's still pretty raw, and he'll have a lot of time to, to make a lot of plays this next year. I'm excited to see him. And then Cody, you know, he's been he's been hurt a little bit too since he's been here, but he's, he's full go now. We've been throwing routes with, with everybody this offseason. He looks good. So I'm excited, especially to see those three that haven't had a chance to play a ton. Um, we'll see what they can do, how they develop, and, and how they can add to our offense and our attack. Jaron, I have to ask this question, and I'm sure you'll tread lightly, but who's your favorite wide receiver right now? <laughs> Not asking me for the ball every time they come off the stage. <laughs> who, who doesn't ask you for the ball when they come off? The one that doesn't, so there's your answer. Okay. Oh. Everybody. Went, can you even be a receiver if you don't ask for the dang ball? <laughs> Throw me the dang ball, right? Exactly. Okay, last year – your efficiency was, was really good, um, you know, top 30 in the country. Your yards per attempt, 18th, only five picks on 296 attempts. What was it um, – what, what did you do to be so efficient and take care of the football so well? 
I just stuck to our, our reads, man. I mean, A-Rod makes the offense so simple, especially for, for quarterbacks who spend hours every day going through our simple, basic plays, our reads, our progressions, and just sticking to the things that we've been taught fundamentally, you know, and, and just take what the defense gives you as the number one thing. So you combine all those things together. It makes what seems like a complicated position, a complicated thing to do pretty simple. Um, as long as you're prepared, you know, you always you got to watch a lot of film and understand the defense. But for me, it was just taking what the defense gave, not pushing things when they weren't there, not trying to make the hardest throw possible to look good, but just simply give it to our playmakers in space and let them do their thing. Uh, for the most part, I feel like I did a good job, uh, but I got a lot of room to improve still with that. Jaron Hall with us on BYU Sports Nation. You are clearly a very mature player and a guy that can compartmentalize one game to the next, certainly one season to the next. But there is this idea that, hey, maybe Jaron Hall's the guy to lead BYU football into the Big 12. How much thought have you given that about staying not just one more year because you're a guy that has a lot of NFL interest, but maybe being the guy to lead BYU into that Power 5 conference? Not much. You know, I, I tend to focus on just the next game, in this case, USF, so the 2022 season. Um, Big 12 is kind of out there for me right now. Being here five years, you know, ideally you, get, you have a good year, good health, and play well and, and kind of move on with my future. But uh, you never know, man. I mean, I still got one more year of eligibility. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens. But right now I'm just focused on USF, focused on this season, and you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Jada, with the hands to the face call, that's going to be a 15-yard penalty. Um, okay, you you posted in, uh, that you miss baseball. Um, you know, you've you focused completely on football. What do you miss about baseball uh, with the season underway and the boys uh, having some real success here the last week? I miss the 11-day vacation you get to travel and play. <laughs> Getting out of the cold for 11 days, going to Florida and Arizona. That's up there. We sent no, Shep. We're time. jealous, too. Yeah, to- totally fair. <laughs> he's, he's getting it all. Yes, he is. <laughs> hey, Jaron, it's great to talk with you. Good to see Jada May. Glad that uh, the family's doing well. We oh, appreciate the time. She raised her hand of yeah, her own volition right there. She yeah. knows. Hey, it man- let her Does she want the ball, too? Does she complain about not getting the ball enough? No, nah, she, gets, she gets whatever she wants. She gets the ball, <laughs> she gets the ball. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jaron, let's give you some BYU Sports Nation karma for the start of spring ball to stay healthy, for things to go well. Uh, we appreciate your time amidst the busy schedule. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, guys. Have fun. You got it. BYU quarterback Jaron Hall with us on BYU Sports Nation. Dude, I, I'm glad you talked about it. <laughs> he played so hurt. Like, in the Arizona State game, it's like, oh, he landed the ball. He just got hurt. No, no, no. He had been playing with bruised, cracked ribs and then more chest issues. And then, oh, my gosh. So and then a foot injury in the USC game. So these aren't these aren't um, injuries that I think are preventable. Like, hey, you need to slide it. That's football. It's part of the game, and you just need to count on you know sometimes being banged up. And he played through a lot of that. And think about how effective he was in the Utah game. His greatest performance was the Utah game. You could argue Baylor, but he had to play well to beat Utah, especially run. Well, think about and he did. How unfortunate it is that he had to come back and play against Boise State. Because Baylor Romney was concussed against Utah State. Yes. And he wasn't ready. Like, his ribs were not okay. But he put it out there for BYU. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's rough. Yeah. And, and he wasn't the reason BYU lost that game either. You know what I mean? You always got to take care of the ball in that game. security. Yep. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. 
The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. BYU women's basketball. Let's take a look back at what they just put together in terms of a regular season resume, Jason. 25-2, and two, currently projected as a five seed in the NCAA tournament, number 17 in the latest AP poll, undisputed and untied West Coast Conference regular season champs. Jason, did BYU women's basketball just wrap up the greatest regular season ever in BYU basketball history, that's on the men's or women's side. The reason that this is such a good conversation to have is because it is a conversation. There is a conversation to be had that what we just saw with BYU women's basketball, that it is the greatest regular season performance that we have ever seen. Now, for me, the the one that you're debating it against is on the men's side, the 2010-2011 BYU basketball team with Jimmer Fredette, obviously, and Jackson Emery, Brandon Davies, the team that ultimately went to the Sweet 16 and, and unfortunately lost to Florida. Here, the, the issue that we're dealing with here, though, is we're, we're not talking about postseason. No. We're not talking about what happened you know, going to the Sweet 16. This is 100% regular season. Yes. So... The, the case to be made for the women's side is certainly the record, 25-2. and two. two losses. Two losses. The, the thing for me that I think that this team can hang its hat on is not just the record. It's not just the teams that they beat. And they beat some good teams, especially early on. They beat a lot of ranked teams that really got the season jump-started and not only gave this team confidence, but I think – gave the outside world a reason to start paying attention Certainly. to this team. You beat Florida State and West Virginia on yep. a neutral court, and if the quadrants were the same on the women's side, that Florida State win would be a quad one win for BYU women's hoops. Beyond all of those factors, the record, the teams that they beat, this team is not just winning games by a large margin. Large margin. They are destroying teams. They <laughs> regularly have a 25 or 30 point halftime lead. Sometimes that lead stretches to 40 plus. This team is destroying opponents. So I think that's why they deserve to be in this conversation. The reason for the other team is obvious it's Jimmer Mania. I have never seen, nor do I ever believe we will see again, another season with as much hype around a basketball team and a player at BYU than what we saw with Jimmer. Jimmer was leading SportsCenter on a nightly basis. If he was playing, he was leading SportsCenter on what he was doing. So that's why this conversation is so fun, because it is a conversation to be had. Sure. And that men's team in 2010-2011, 28-3 in the regular season, they finished number 10 in the final AP poll. But again, this isn't about final AP polls. Yes. This is about what was happening after the conference tournaments going into March Madness. They were the Mountain West Conference regular season champs. Jimmer was the player of the year in the conference. They were beating teams by an average of 13.5 points a game, which is pretty good because that was a very, very competitive and good Mountain West Conference with San Diego State, Kawhi Leonard, New Mexico was a good team, UNLV certainly was no pushover. But to your point, let's qualify the destruction of BYU women's basketball. 
their average win margin this season, 23.68 points per game. And that feels low based off of a lot of the scores we've seen. The average margin of victory, you're telling me, is almost 24 points a game. And at home in West Coast Conference play, you push that up closer to like 33 points a game. So they went undefeated at home. They were incredible. The two losses, Jason, too, let's qualify those a little bit. At Oklahoma. Overtime. In overtime, Oklahoma is a projected three seed in the NCAA tournament. So certainly not a bad loss. And frankly, BYU was in position to win that game a couple of yes, times. Yes, they were. Ah, can you imagine if BYU had won that game and they'd be 26-1? and one? Then there would be no case against the Cougars to hold them out of a top four seed in the tournament. They're a five seed. I'm bugged by that. I think they have earned at least a four seed to this point. 100% losses. Can't, okay. cannot agree more. And then the Portland game, people are like, oh, man, but the loss of Portland. At the time, it was a quad one loss, Jason. Yes. Portland was a top 70 team in net. Their star point guard blew out her knee in that game late in the game and has not been able to play since. So Portland has slid a little bit in the net rankings, but that's because they're not at full strength. Portland was a good team when they beat BYU, and BYU played their worst game of the season, and it was still close. Yeah, people th- assume that the Portland women were like the Portland men, which are at the bottom. That that was not the case when BYU faced the Portland women's team in Portland. Yes, this is a conversation. So people saying, oh, no, you can't. it's clearly 2010-2011. No, if we're talking just dominant regular seasons, this women's basketball team is right there in the combo. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. All right, Jeremy, let's begin with this. Should BYU fans be rooting for LMU or the Pacific men tonight in one of those early games? Should we want BYU to play a team it's already lost to or a team that it hasn't lost to? Uh, LMU is the team that I would like uh, to win. They've been banged up. Who knows how healthy they'll get for this game, but Pacific beat BYU. Um, Both those teams challenged BYU on the road. LMU got BYU to OT. That would have been a devastating loss. It didn't happen. LMU is the clear answer. Yeah, LMU is a better matchup for BYU. However, the competitor inside of me says, ah, I want to erase any doubt in my mind and remind people that that Pacific game was an aberration. So the competitor says, bring on Pacific so that BYU can in a way right the ship. It shall not be blotted out. That quad four will just sit there still. Uh, what will the weirdest question Tyler Algier uh, be asked today during his combine interview? I'm hoping he gets the question that Daniel Sorensen got, which is like, all right, this paperclip. How many different uses can you find in, within a paperclip in 30 seconds? I don't know. There's going to be somebody that's like, hey, uh, what could you have done better in the Superman punch play? And it's like. Uh, nothing. nothing. It was the yeah. perfect play in college football. There's nothing that I could have done better. So uh, one of those two, I think, would be kind of fun. I, th- I was love the. If you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? It's just like the stupidest question <laughs> of all time. <laughs> just to get to know people. Go. By so the way, weird. go Google like weird NFL comment questions. 
I can't even bring them up on the air, some of them, where it's like, what? <laughs> like, weird stuff, man. Which, by the way, uh, Trevor Sakema uh, just posted the following. We just showed a graphic of it. Tyler Algier said he'll be doing all workouts other than bench to show teams he'll do whatever they need him to do. He was asked if he'd ever play linebacker again like he did at BYU. He smiled and said, hey, I'll do whatever they ask me to do. As, as teams get to know Tyler Algier, they will love him. Go! I promise you they're going to be watching his deep blue. They're going to understand where he comes from, what he's about, and he's going to be a steal for whoever takes him whenever they take him. Yes, he's going to run a 4-4-40 as well. I can't see anything happening other than him raising his draft stock just because he's still somewhat off the radar. People are going to notice him. Yeah. I don't know why he's off the radar, though. That's, All right. Jeez. Yeah. Okay, back to basketball. Uh, or is it baseball? It's a basketball guy within baseball. Who is T. John Lucas rooting for today when BYU baseball takes on his former school, Milwaukee? Uh, the only thing that would be better if, if it was a doubleheader against Milwaukee and Illinois is two former schools. But I think he's going for Brigham. That's the, that's the current boo. He's bought in on BYU. I'm with you. He's all BYU at this point. If it were, if it were like basketball or something, then it would be a little weird for him. Um, but, yeah, no, this is baseball. He's all in on BYU. Of course he is. Panthers and Cougs coming up at 3 Eastern time on the BYU TV app and BYU Radio. BYU Sports Nation tweeted out a look back seven years ago when I shaved my head when I said, BYU wins at Gonzaga, I'll shave my head. Well, that was the first of three in a row. Little did we know. Uh, so, Robbie McCombs replied to this tweet with the question, if BYU wins the WCC tournament, will you shave your head, Spencer? What's your take? Uh, to which I said, if that's what it takes... Why not? I mean, BYU hasn't won a postseason conference tournament in men's basketball in 21 years. That is a wild stat. Not in the Jimmer years. Uh, we thought maybe they were going to do it a couple of years back with uh, TJ and Jake and Yo. That didn't happen. Lost to St. Mary's. It almost happened yeah, last this year. Is crazy. 21 years. Yes. Listen, if it takes that, if it takes me shaving my head for BYU to win the postseason tournament, why not? Let's do it. Let's make history. Here's a truth bomb. BYU might not win a conference title in men's basketball in the tournament for another 20. <laughs> Gonzaga, Big 12? I'm just hoping BYU wins a game in the Big 12 tournament. Like, this is not a thing I that know. is going to be regular or happen at all for a while. <laughs> the best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hey, thanks to Cougar Stats on Twitter, we now know the last time BYU won a conference tournament championship, Kalani Satake had just finished his senior season as a player at BYU. Mark Pope had a did-not-play-for-the-Milwaukee-Bucks against the Chicago Bulls. Jimmer Fredette had just graduated from primary. And Fusa Natiki hadn't been born yet, Jim. Hey. When will be the next time BYU men's basketball wins a conference tournament championship? I believe it, the year will be 2043 in the Big 12. Uh, <laughs> there's a chance BYU doesn't win one for a while. Uh, because the big if you thought the WCC tournament was hard to win, just wait <laughs> till the Big 12. 
Just win one game in the Big 12 tournament every year. That'll be the goal. Yeah, yeah. I hope it's next year because I think that's BYU's best chance. And that means BYU's going to have to do some serious work in the transfer portal. And uh, Gonzaga sends, like, six guys to the NBA, and we, we hope that they don't get, like, seven other five stars. <laughs> I, I, it feels like we're running out of time here before BYU goes to the Big 12, and then it's like, uh, okay, yeah. after 10 years of recruiting, BYU is now a top 20 team, and they can win the Big 12 tournament. Like, maybe next year? I, th- I think that's BYU's best chance, like, in the next decade. Oh, for sure. The only shot BYU would have after that is after the second coming, frankly. That's the only shot. Okay, it's uh, the day before the day for BYU in San Francisco, if and when the Cougars dispatch Valley, of course. Joy Brackets has, uh, you know, San Francisco as the seventh team in. BYU is the second team out. Is tomorrow a win and end game for the victor, as you've talked about? It is on BYU's side. I feel like it's an elimination game for BYU specifically. Like, if they beat San Francisco, they're in. But San Francisco's 26 in the net rankings right now. 26! And they're in. They're, like, well in, according to most bracketologists. So, San Francisco can lose and still get in. BYU has to win if they want to get in. Yes, BYU's got to win. I'm not in the camp of they can lose and still get in. I don't think that's going to be the case. The, The net's too low. You know, you're not. You, you, we hope San Diego State stays a quad one win. We'll see, right? Like we hope Missouri State stays in the top seventy-five. No guarantees for the Bears. Uh, I don't like relying on Missouri State for our tournament hopes. <laughs> We've reached that. On to BYU football and offensive coordinator Aaron Roderick specifically. He was asked if he thinks Houston Haymuli could be more than a traditional fullback, and said this. He's a fullback. He's a good. He's a good fullback, and we like. You know, we use one in our offense, and so. But what we what we did learn last year, though, is that Mason Wake is a lot more than a fullback. Yeah. And so that's what's fun is we can play with both of those guys on the field. It's not one or the other. Mason Mason played a lot last year on the line of scrimmage with his hand on the ground and did a great job. And that I think that kind of went unnoticed. He's not just a fullback, so we can play with Mason and. Houston in the game. We can play with one or the other with one of our other tight ends. We can, we can get, you know, we've got some, a lot of three tight end sets with those guys. Jerem, what are we going to call the Houston Haymuli Mason Wake package when they're on the field together next season? Maybe Bash Bros, uh, Hay Wake, or Wake Cooley. We'll see. we got to work on it. <laughs> yeah. I like the Bash Bros. I need some more time to, uh, yeah, think about some pop culture things and maybe do something with Houston. You have a problem. Like, we, we need some more time to think about this. Right now, I'm leaning towards Bash Bros. Yeah. Uh, uh, nod to the steroid-induced Oakland A's of the uh, 80s. Do you believe BYU <laughs> will sign a five-star quarterback at some point in the Big 12 era? Yes. I absolutely believe that. Power 5 is a game-changer. It's probably not going to happen this year, but at some point... Yeah, BYU, known as a quarterback school, now having the Power 5 connotation. They're going to sign a five-star at some point. Yeah, there will be a Ben Olsen, Jay Keeps, Tanner Mangum again that gets offered by everybody and then uh, chooses BYU at some point because of the Power 5 distinction. I believe that will happen. Will that quarterback turn out to be a guy that stays here the whole time and is uber successful? That's, that's the hope. Two of those three transferred. And then, uh, you know, Tanner Mangum, love Tanner. Didn't have a great senior year there. 
Jerem, a new trend is sweeping through BYU football spring practice. Are you a fan of something being called the chance? The BYU football chance. The short pants. Um, no. <laughs> Jacob Conover and Ben Bywater <laughs> rocking it the most. But, yeah, a lot of the guys, it's kind of cut. Listen, Mitch Matthews probably a huge fan of this. There you go. Those are, yeah, those are something. I don't know what to make of those, honestly. Uh, yeah, Micah Simon also thinks they're awesome. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the number of people that like them are, are far fewer than those that uh, are against them. So I, I, I think it's weird, man. We're football pants. <laughs> but it is spring, so who cares? Whatever. <laughs> All right, Jerem. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear and catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio.